0: Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a 7 or 8 mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces, NATION30, and you will receive 30% off your purchase.
1: This is the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% and dollars back to wildlife, but it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. <laughs> Happy Thursday everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast. I'm your host Marcus Ewing and this is episode 28. Uh, before we get into today's episode uh, I just want to take a quick second to say that I hope uh, all of you out there had a very uh, safe and happy Thanksgiving and um, were able to spend it with uh, family and friends and loved ones and whether you you know celebrated at home or, or got outside and spent some time in the woods however it was I hope you uh, Hope everyone had a safe and uh, healthy Thanksgiving. Um, so this week on the podcast, I am joined by Erin Wheat. Now Erin is a board member for Two Percent for Conservation, and she is also uh, a photographer and has her own company, Erin Wheat Company. Uh, and she specializes in uh, adventure engagement and elopement elopement um, weddings and and. It's a it's a really it's it's a very unique and, and kind of specialty um, thing that or event that Erin focuses on and uh, if you guys haven't heard of her or checked out her work before you really should because it uh, it's really um, incredible uh, a lot of the um, the pictures uh, and just the the areas that she's able to to get her clients in to really capture uh, the moment and make you know those memories um, for the couple, uh, as unforgettable, uh, as possible. Um, Erin had a very, uh, very cool upbringing. Um, she grew up in the national park service. Uh, both of her parents, uh, worked, uh, in the national parks. Um, and so she got a real firsthand experience and was able to really understand, you know, the outdoors and what all of that, you know, meant to kind of the, the bigger picture of things, uh, at a very young age. Um, you know, Erin lives out west now. She grew up on the east coast, so she's got a, a pretty good kind of perspective, you know, from growing up on the east coast and, and you know, growing up having the ocean right there, and then now living out west in Jackson Hole. So she's really kind of seen it all, and she's you know spent a good deal of time traveling, and it, it was just uh it was a really fun conversation. Um, Erin's uh very cool and she's got a great um, business, and you know, for any of you that are you know, looking to go on to have kind of an adventure wedding or anything like that, uh, especially out west. Uh, I highly suggest you guys uh, look her up. So, without any further ado, Aaron Wheat. Before we get into today's episode, though, I want to take a minute to talk about our partners over at Stone Glacier. Um, if you have been following along with Stone Glacier, you know that they just recently came out with. Um, with a few new products that, uh, I'm really excited to check out. Uh, they just came out with a new, uh, base layer, uh, the Chinook, uh, Merino, uh, there's a top and a bottom, um, for a lot of you Western hunters, uh, you know, you absolutely know the benefits to Merino. Uh, and even for a Midwest guy like myself, I mean, Merino is always <clears throat> the first layer that I put on. Um, so definitely be sure to check out that as well as the Skyline Bino Harness. Now I had, Talked about this in, in some of the previous podcasts, um, and it just finally hit the market um, maybe two or three weeks ago. Uh, really excited to check this out. Uh, it's a fully uh, adjustable bino harness, uh, forward opening, streamlined, lightweight. Um, you know, it's it, it's it's the one bino harness that you need regardless of the size of glass uh, that you're running in, you know, lightweight. So for, you know, the Western people or even, you know, the tree stand guys in the in the Midwest and the East, uh, it's going to be very, you know, lightweight, easy to use. Um, you know, you can use it with one hand. So a lot of benefits regardless of your application. Uh, and then also recently launched the Skydome six-person tent. Uh, basically, this is a bomb-proof, uh, ba- a true base camp style tent um, that has a lot of different options. You know, you can remove the floor, uh, you know, it's, it's big enough for a person that's, you know, upwards of six, four. So it's, it's a true kind of wall, wall tent experience without, uh, you know, in in half the, half the weight and half the size. So definitely be sure to head over to stoneglacier.com, check them out. The Chinook Merino, um, base layers, the Skyline Bino Harness, in the Sky Dome six person. Uh, Again, stoneglacier.com. All right. On the line with me today, I have 2% board member and owner of 2% certified business, Aaron Wheat Company, the talented Aaron Wheat. Aaron, how are you today?
2: I am good. It's nice to chat with you.
1: Yeah, you as well. Um, I know we're kind of, yeah, absolutely. I know we're kind of Right up against the uh, the Thanksgiving holiday here, so I appreciate you making some time. Um, you know, with the holiday season kind of uh, in full swing here.
2: Definitely, yeah. I'm yeah. stoked to be here.
1: Yeah. So there's kind of a lot that I want to get into today. So first off, Aaron, kind of tell me about yourself. I know uh, I mentioned the business. Um, yeah, kind of take us take us through that.
2: Cool. So um, I'm a photographer, and I am based in kind of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem area. So I live in Teton Valley, Idaho, but I obviously work out of Jackson Hole a lot. Um, so yeah, that's sort of my main area. And then I shoot mostly adventure elopements and weddings um, and work with couples and families. And I pretty much do everything, but that's sort of my specialty. Um, and then when I take sort of my downtime of the year, um, cause summer season can be a little crazy. Yeah. Um, I then work with like a lot more conservation groups and I do, um, a lot more like, uh, brand work for outdoor companies and that kind of stuff.
1: Okay. So So pretty diversified portfolio in terms of like the types of things that you're shooting.
2: Yeah. I try to, I definitely, I, I take on a lot in the summers. And so, um, I try to find a little balance with other things that matter to me and and are important to me in the winter so that I don't ever feel the burnout too strong on anything and yeah, yeah, keep, work fresh as well
1: so I gotta ask the adventure elopement and engagements like that seems like a very like niche like market yeah. and very specific like how did you how did you kind of land on that
2: um so the sort of short story is um I was I was in school and I was uh, actually on well training in hopes of becoming a professional athlete and ended up getting sick and everything in my life kind of changed. And so I ended up going abroad and living abroad for a little bit. And I started shooting a lot of surfing during that and came back and had some surgeries and was just kind of at a a weird transition place in my life. And I was definitely not a girl that like dreamed about my wedding or like anything (laughs) like that and kind of in fact, a lot of the photos that I saw from people I knew kind of made me a little nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> or, I mean, just like it just didn't do anything for me, and I kind of like dreaded that. And then I kind of started to cross mingle with some folks that were doing things a little differently, and it kind of opened my eyes. And I was like, okay, this is something I'm about, and I think that these, the yeah, like love is an amazing thing, and it powers a lot of good in this world, right. and. I think that's awesome, but I also think that sometimes it gets grouped into a specific bubble of what is expected of you with that, and it pushes away a lot of people who are interested in the types of things I'm interested in, and I just think that that's silly, and and so I kind of started down this route and realized, like, yeah, the big wedding deal isn't for everyone, and for some people, having more of that, an experience on that day that feels like who they are really makes that day mean a lot more to them. Um, And so that's sort of where it started. And yeah, now that's definitely what I do the most of and specialize in the most is that, um, and then I think obviously some of my background, which we'll get into, but that also kind of helped set me up to have a good uh, place to start that and um, have experience there as well.
1: Yeah, so you, you said something there that really kind of hit home for me when you said you wanted, you know, like the, the big kind of grandiose wedding is not for everyone. Right. And that's in different strokes for different folks. Like I, I totally agree with that. And you said you, you know, kind of helping them capture, you know, that day and doing something on that day that is kind of in line with who that person is. Right. And it it made me think of this story. So like my wife and I got married seven years ago. Yeah. Seven years ago. Okay. And (laughs) for my bachelor party, you know, I, my friends, I told them, I'm like, I don't want to do this, like go to Vegas or go to, you know, some kind of big city. Like, that's just, that's not me. That's not my style. So they planned like this, like two to three day camping trip for me, like in the wilderness, like in a part of Michigan that's, you know, much more remote. Like we, we checked out some, like, like, uh, like we did like some spelunking, like in some caves underground, like rented a boat and like drove out wow. into the middle of Lake Superior on this Island and just like hung out for the day. Like we did some really cool things. So like, I I know exactly what you're going for when you talk about like making that special day special for, you know, that that couple.
2: Exactly. And I I want them to be able to look back at their memories of that day and have them really feel something and not just be like, oh, this is a really uncomfortably posed photo that our photographer (laughs) made us take. Like that is not at all what I want people to feel when they look back at their own work. And a lot of the work I do, I make a point of having what we like to call little people, big landscape um, with a lot of my clients, because a lot of people that I work with do feel a little uncomfortable putting a big old like kissy photo of themselves up on their wall. And so it means a lot more to them to have this amazing landscape that they feel a connection to, but that other people can walk in their house and be like, wow that's an awesome shot and it just so happens the couple that's standing on the top of the mountain happens to be you guys like yeah. which makes it even more like everyone can relate to it and find something in it um which i think yeah i just think wall art that looks like that is more meaningful for everyone and really yeah reminds you of the whole experience of that day
1: yeah yeah that's that's very well put and i don't i don't think i could have said it any better myself <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it at that <laughs> but you mentioned something there uh, earlier that you were training to be a professional athlete, I've got yeah. to know what were you training like? What 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 sport?
2: I was a swimmer. Okay, um, and that was sort of the the pipe dream for sure. Was Olympic trials possibly or yeah pursuing that? Um, and it, yeah, in retrospect, now it, it makes a lot more sense as high school went on. I was like racing pretty much the same times I was racing at practices so really fast practice times but mm-hmm. I wasn't really seeing a lot and I was training you know like about 14 practices a week so doubles every day plus yeah. meets and yeah I, I did the 4 a.m three thirty mornings every day of high school for yeah I swam for 17 years and um or 14 years 15 years something like that um and Yeah, it it was a huge part of my life for a long time. And then, yeah, I ended up, uh, it became clear that something was off (laughs) Yeah, and it obviously made a lot more sense once we kind of started to figure out what was going on. But yeah, for a long time, that was the, that's such,
1: that's such a commitment, especially, you know, at that like young age, like, like like I'm, I'm considering high school, like a young age, especially like in, in any type of athletic, you know, career prowess, like whatever it may be like that, that's very early on in your journey. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's a commitment. Like I played a sport in college, so I kind of have like some idea, but I mean, when I was, when I think back to what I was doing in high school to prepare for that sport, like it was not two days, not getting up. Right.
2: That is definitely kind of a suffer fest. Um, and a lot of kids, yeah, a lot of kids that are really fast too. when they're young, they do burn out when they hit that about that high school era, just because yeah, in order to keep up with that level, you you have to be willing to put in pretty grueling time yeah. at the pool. And yeah, staring at the bo- line on the bottom of the pool for hours on hours is not everybody's idea of the most fun high school experience. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but I have you know, I have such an appreciation for for athletes from that participate in things that I've never really tried or done. Like, can I swim yes i can get from point a to point b without drowning so i consider myself a decent swimmer but to know what it takes to be competitive and not only to be a competitive swimmer but to be good at being a competitive like that's just that's far and beyond anything that i want i want to ever try to to get to so kudos (laughs) to you because i I can imagine what that what went into that
2: thank you yeah i i think about it a lot because obviously it shaped a lot of who i am and um I think there are things that I look back on and like, you know, what would I have done with my time if this hadn't kind of just been like where I fell into place and what fit for me really well. Um, But I'm also so eternally grateful to, I I grew, I swam with a small team for a long time and uh, so they were pretty much my family and I, I learned so many lessons and a sport like that does require a dedication. I think that is a great life skill that, I think some of the stuff that has transpired since then is probably rooted in those things that I learned through that commitment. So, yeah, it, it's a chapter I'm I'm grateful for for sure.
1: Yeah, and I've talked about that <clears throat> with a few other guests uh, in previous episodes about the role that sports plays uh, in any in any person's life. Right? If they if they are in sports for any amount of time, and it's you know they they have a, a level of commitment or their their seriousness is at a certain level that the things it teaches you apply to everything else in life right like the perseverance the hard work the commitment all those little things that just get ingrained in you at a you know at a young age that you put to use for the rest of your life is is kind of invaluable
2: definitely yeah
1: so aaron what what did the outdoors look like to you you know when you were growing up and when you were a kid
2: Yeah, so um, I grew up in a pretty unique situation. So I definitely had a more untraditional uh, experience early on. So my parents were biologists for the National Park Service. And so I grew up in one of the national parks um, on an island off the coast of Maine. And so I pretty much from the time I was (laughs) born, probably I that was yeah just a fundamental values in outdoors were a part of what our family was built on and. Yeah, I spent a lot of weekends, especially prior to swimming in the field with my dad, especially. Um, he was, my mom is, she's, well, they're both retired now. Um, for the most part, my mom's writing a book. But they, um, my dad is a, with, like, tried and true wildlife biologist um, with actually a specialty in range management. He's from the West. So okay. that's where his heart is without a doubt. Um, and then my mom is a invasive species botanist and she uh, does like environmental compliance writing. So I got to do a lot of stuff in the field with them and that was a pretty unique yeah, way to grow up. And without a doubt, like one of my very first memories is being out on a beaver pond with my dad, um, doing studies on the beavers that were there. Um, Yeah, (laughs) which is kind of a funny one to to yeah have as a memory, but I can remember that day like totally crystal clear.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, first off, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for dinner in your household (laughs) with your parents being you know one in in range management and one in invasive species and botany. Like that's I can just imagine the the topics that were discussed, but that's that's really cool and a really interesting um, way to kind of be. Brought into the wildlife or brought into the outdoors as as part of your life because, you know, you're getting a perspective, like you're getting a very scientific perspective on things, right, that a lot of people um, may never be exposed to.
2: Yeah, I really got to watch um, a lot of the outcomes of of their work and their studies and what we were finding and how that, yeah, affected the whole ecosystem in those parks. And that, yeah, it was an experience that I'm I'm so grateful for. And in fact, often I do think that, like, if I wasn't a photographer, I I often think about how I could provide that type of an experience for my own kids at some point, um, just because I feel like, yeah, it gave me such a cool opportunity to see our impact too on the, on it, on wild places and how important it is that we're aware of that impact and thinking about our, how we can affect change, um, in a positive way.
1: Yeah. Now, as, as working in the national park service and you said your father, um, specialized in like herd management, was he a hunter or
2: yeah so he grew up out west and went to school in Idaho, where we live now, um, and he did a lot of work out here. He worked in Grand Teton actually way back um, when the Marys were here, and then he ended up becoming the first range biologist in Alaska. Um, and when Wrangell St. Elias opened, took on a position as a biologist there and then ended up following my mom to Maine um, thinking the things it would we be do
1: for show. love, yeah.
2: Yeah, thinking it would be like a couple years maybe, and he he was going to work on a PhD project with caribou and reintroduction to northern Maine, um, which ended up failing. They either died or went back to Canada. (laughs) Um, But after that, the position at Acadia opened, and he took that, and then they ended up there for about 30 years. So obviously not a ton of range in Maine. So Um, a lot of why they're out here now is because that is really where his heart is as well is out there. Um, but yeah, he, he hunted growing up and, um, I think because that's the landscape of the West is what he's more familiar with and what is just where he's happy. He didn't really hunt in Maine a whole lot. Um, And But when we would come out to visit my family, he would go with my uncle or, like, my cousin sometimes to pheasant hunt or just to get deer um, or things like that. And then now that we all live in the same area out west, um, my partner Jason is pretty – he's, like, definitely grew up hunting a lot. and. He's kind of getting back into it a little bit more now. And so I think he and my pops will probably be spending some time out there together in the future.
1: Yeah, that's great. And the the part of the country that you're in, like in the kind of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, um, my wife and my two kids, we took a trip out to, we did like a Western kind of road trip through the month of September this year. So we uh, we rented an RV, which was an experience in and of itself.
2: <laughs>
0: I bet.
1: And we drove to, um, we drove, took us like three or four days and we drove to Bozeman and I got to meet with Jared there, um, with 2% and, uh, got some friends kind of in the area. So I got to see them for a few days and then we drove down to, uh, Yellowstone and we were there for three days. And then from there we took the, we were staying in West Yellowstone Mm -hmm. and then went down through the park, took the Southern or the Southern entrance out and then down through the Tetons, down through Jackson Hole. Down into um, where do we stay? Down into Utah. Down into uh, not Salt Lake, but uh, right outside of Salt Lake. We stayed there for a night, and then from there down into uh, into Moab for a few days, uh, and then across over into Denver, where we have some friends, and and kind of rounded out the trip there. But that is just beautiful, beautiful country. Um, The Tetons. I mean, I'd seen them once before, but like actually being able to take it all in—it's just. Amazing. Incredible.
2: Yeah. I feel so lucky um, to be here. And Jay and I bought a house this year and in Driggs. And, yeah, every time we walk out on our porch and just feel that we have some roots planted here now, it, yeah, it's an incredible feeling. And I just, yeah, look up at the mountains and just the entire landscape to me, honestly, like even aside from the mountains, the the fields, the, all of it is just the red dirt. Like I love all of that stuff. And, yeah. I feel really lucky that I just get to sit there and take it in and know that I'm a part of that.
1: <laughs> and, and I think I don't want to you know, put words into your mouth here, but I think a lot of the appreciation also comes from the fact like of, you know, growing up in the East Coast or, you know, you just where you didn't have that stuff out your back door. Right. Like you get to wake up every day and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is beautiful. Like, how can people take this for granted or not, you know, want to do everything they can to to protect these wild places, you know.
2: Yeah, and I I think I've gotten, it's kind of a unique experience because being, I am pretty young and I like, obviously, I think I to some degree took Acadia a little for granted, even though like my parents were pretty like, we didn't do a lot of the toys and stuff and instead traveled. And my mom had grown up with her family doing road trips in the 60s through the national parks. Um, and so that was something that was really important to them that I got to see these places and stuff. And so, but when you grow up in that community, like, whereas Acadia, the island it's on, that is also where we live. So the whole community is, it's a little different than a lot of other national parks where you very distinctly enter and exit, um, you go in and out of the park across the whole island. So that was my whole like upbringing. And then when I left, I, I got both the experience of being in awe of living in a different place with a totally different landscape, even as a kid who did grow up coming out West, probably yeah. more often than a lot of the kids I went to school with. Um, and then also realizing like what I love about where I am from. Um, and while I'm so happy here, I I always tease Jason that, like, yeah, you grow up like an island baby. You, never take <laughs> that out. <laughs> um, so I will always have that tie to the ocean and and those fishing communities and that. And it, it, yeah, I think it has given me the opportunity to appreciate both places in a different way than I would have if I hadn't left.
1: Yeah, and that's in that's uh, a very good way to. You are are, are very fortunate in, in terms of like you've been able to kind of experience the the two things that speaking from a Midwesterner, right. A lot of things like the mountains or the ocean, like what would you kind of, what would you rather have? And for me, it's always been the mountains. Like we've been, you know, I've been lucky enough to to travel out West and, you know, we started doing it as a family when I was, you know, in junior high and early in high school. So we took a lot of trips and I just, I fell in love with it. And then, you know, fortunately my, my wife loves the outdoors. She loves to, you know, she's a snowboarder and she just, you know, just loves being in nature. So, you know, this year was the, the first chance to kind of really expose the kids to it. You know, I have yeah. an almost four-year-old and an almost two-year-old, so they don't really get to understand it and appreciate it. But yeah, it's it's one of those things that hopefully, as time goes on, that they can yeah. appreciate it.
2: Yeah, that's, it's very much, Jay and I are, he's from the West. So like he was, um, it was only a few years ago that he saw the ocean for the first time. So. Oh, wow. I think uh, like a couple months into dating, he drove back to Maine with me when I was going home for work. And that was the second time he'd ever seen it. And it was the first or the second time in that year as well. So he was probably 25 or 26 when he first saw the ocean, which, yeah, just totally mind blowing to me. I mean, I grew up where you can hear the storms when they hit the the beach, you know, like totally different. And so, yeah, I've learned so much through him about like recreating in these places and just options that we didn't really have, or maybe we had, but they're just not really big like sports where we were. Um, and then it really brings me a lot of joy when, when we go back to get to share with him, like, yeah, the first time he went back, I remember him making a comment about considering it lobster ranching, which (laughs) was like, It was like, yeah, it's a super parallel, like instead of ranching, we lobster or fish. right? um, But it's the same type of that, like commitment to that place and that lifestyle is rooted in that landscape. Um, So super similar, but just totally different actual choices in what you're harvesting. And yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I compare it to like, you know, agricultural farming here in the Midwest, (laughs) right? Yeah. Like every, every region is a little bit different in terms of what they're what they're farming so to speak yes
2: exactly
1: so you, you mentioned just a second ago going back to to maine for work and going back to your company the Aaron wheat company uh, yes. and being a photographer so you have like a when i was doing some research like a very kind of large range in terms of of where you shoot how does that work because i noticed anything from maine to you know to wyoming <laughs> to alaska i mean that's a that's a really yes, really so- big geographical area
2: when I first um, got started, all the first couple years, I did primarily shoot destination weddings. So I I was on the road a lot. Um, and like, in fact, one summer, I think I left like three or four days after I got out of school and then I was gone until the end of October um, I and I came home like maybe for a week here and there and then just bounced from state to state for different jobs. Um, it wasn't, I will fully admit, that is not the most savvy business plan um unless <laughs> you are really high end and can charge a lot and afford to do that right like as your main you know base but um yeah so a lot of that and then now I do try to limit it a little more just because I am really busy here and I have a partner and you know a life here and stuff and so I I do like being home and and being in this place plus it's it's hard to complain about sure. staying in the Tetons, um but um I still do try to make a trip or two back home to Maine every year. um, And I usually shoot a wedding or two back there when I do so. Um, And then Alaska is one of the other places that I try to get there annually, um, or at least I have for the last probably five or six years. Um, Obviously, we didn't go this year, but um, we did last year and – Almost all of those trips, I've shot up weddings up there as well and made some just amazing friends and people up there. So like the first wedding I ever shot in Alaska, we're actually still good friends with a couple. And we stayed with them last May when we were there. Um and they loaned us one of their trucks for a three-week adventure um, through a bunch. I wanted to show Jay like uh, Wrangle and all those places, and so um, yeah, it's just awesome. Like we stayed with them, and then they yeah, I traded and and shot their growing family in exchange for them letting us borrow their truck, which was awesome. And seems just, like a pretty yeah. good trade. Yeah, it was it's awesome. Yeah, I'm so grateful. And I talk to them both all the time, which is just like that's the stuff that makes it so worth it. It's not just that day of being there with them and helping them plan and that stuff, but the like relationships that I've made that have stuck and getting to share in the places that they love, too. Um, yeah, so I would say generally a lot in the Wyoming, Idaho area now um, with maybe a couple trips scattered here and there. Yeah. um but yeah that's probably more my my more normal mo yeah. these days
1: and that and that makes total sense so if you're like if you're gonna plan a trip um like back to alaska will you kind of reach out or will you just like put out through social media like hey if, if you're interested like i'll be in in the in this area during this time frame and then try yeah. to book multiple you know whatever exactly. you can
2: so like for i kind of usually just take it You know day at a time and sometimes i have people that know me or know me through someone that reach out about a wedding especially for main stuff um and then i plan the trip kind of around their booking basically um and then i offer up any other dates i have during the time that I'll be home because I I usually try to go for at least one of the trips to be like 10 days or two weeks or three weeks even um, just to see family, friends sure. and, and the people I grew up with because obviously, yeah, I think my town was 2000 or 1800. So everybody knows everybody. <laughs> Sounds um,
1: like the town I grew up in. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so it's nice to get to see people. And then I usually fill in and, and do some sessions for family, friends as well nice. and stuff. There, but then, like with Alaska, that would be more, yeah. Generally, that's more of a marketing thing. Um, a couple of the weddings I've done up there have actually been couples I met at other weddings up oh, there, okay, all um, right, which has been really cool, yeah. Like some great friends and stuff, but um, yeah, in general, for those kind of trips, like if we take off in the spring when it's off season here and go to Mexico or something, I'll just put out like a, an FYI, like uh, hey, you okay. know, if. My chance you ever dreamed about eloping <laughs> in Mexico or eloping in Alaska or getting married you know those things like I'll be there so you know I'm I'm already gonna be there so yeah reach out let me know what you're thinking and we'll see if we can yeah connect
1: yeah so now as, as a photographer and owning your own company like how how tough is it to to kind of get started and you know like get established as a photographer because I mean the, there's obviously it, it, it's a, there's a lot of photographers out there but you know the type of photos that you're producing um, and in in your case particular like the type of events and situations that, that you're um, photographing like that's obviously uh, much different and I think I mean I've scrolled through your Instagram you know more than once prior to this and saw like just yeah like you said tiny people big places right like it's it's incredible thank you so how, how tough was it to kind of get established or to like get your name out there when you started the company?
2: Yeah, I will not lie and say that that was an easy phase. Um, it definitely, I would say like probably really since moving out west, um, I think that's when I really kind of found my groove and kind of started to realize like what I was offering that was different and that what I could build on like or had an idea about, and I think that kind of ties into two percent, and I can go into that. But um, and that's when it really took off. But the first few years, I worked a lot of hours and barely scraped by, and yeah. had a lot of hard calls home to mom about like just barely not paying the bills and needing help, or yes, yeah, just stuff like that. Um, and there were definitely times in which, and <laughs> I would say even after twenty twenty, there still have been um, times when I like wondered about whether it was like, should I. Should I do this? But definitely when like financially it was harder, um, that was definitely, there was times when it came to like, okay, how long am I gonna do these hours, do this stuff before I take a hint that maybe I should <laughs> look at other options. And then, yeah, I think when I did start to kind of put it all together and really kind of found my groove, it, it took off more. And I think a huge part of that was actually identifying what is different about investing with working with me over, you know, other options. And yeah, that's when it, it definitely took off. But even then, like that has been a learning curve for me as well with being that busy. Um, I think I did a little better this year at trying to balance out at least some of the, the months on each end of the season a little right. better. But last summer, I would say probably from like middle of May until November 1st, I worked 13 hour days every day. Wow. Um,
1: that's a lot it was yeah
2: yeah, and sunset is really late here which is the best time obviously for those really great lit photos so I usually don't get home until 11 or later from sessions and stuff and I'm much more of a morning person than (laughs) I am an evening person by choice um but I can't choose sunset so I've had to learn to work with that a little but yeah that that part Uh, to say it doesn't, yeah, that you don't have to pull a lot of really long hours would be an understatement because, um, yeah, it's just part of kind of getting there, I think. And then obviously learning to let go a little is also something I'm, and boundaries. Those are like lessons that I think you do, you do get more as you do age too. Like, um, so I'm 25, so I've got a younger start on this for sure. Um, And Probably maybe that wouldn't have been so hard if I had been a little older and had picked up some of that stuff prior. But I'm kind of learning it. I think at the same time, and so working on that art of balance and the consideration of taking a certain amount off my plate and possibly hiring help yeah. it is a, a totally mind-boggling concept to try to try to like uh, get my head around entirely. But it is on. It is there, and it's something that I've kind of dabbled in a little bit. Um, and brought on like just some casual help just to kind of see how it felt and like, yeah, where, where that played out. Yeah.
1: That's, that's, there, there's a lot that goes into that too, because it's right. It's your name on the company. It's, you know, everything that is put out from, um, you know, a content or just, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the pictures themselves, like that is all yeah. that's, that's Aaron wheat, right? Like that's got yeah, your name plastered I, all over I, it.
2: Without a doubt that the photo part of it is harder for me to like, at this point at least, to think about distributing out. So the kind of obvious part is like the book work Mm -hmm. is where people are like, okay, well, why don't you get some help with that stuff so you're not working crazy hours like this? But I I think the part that has really been the hang-up for me is that I do have really personal relationship with a lot of my clients. And I think that that allows for a lot better images because they aren't nervous or not nearly as nervous that day. Like they already know we get along – We're on the same page. We have similar values that I know who they are as people. And so they can just be them that day and know that I've got their back. Like I'm watching our schedule. I'm watching the timeline I did. Like they don't need to worry about things, but I'm on that kind of stuff. And that really allows me to capture them being them um, and way less stiff and uncomfortable and just on edge about things. So that part has been hard for me because I do really value those relationships and having That with people, and so the the thought of not being the person talking to them on a the the day to day basis as we're things is hard for me to let go of. Um, Yeah, because I I have dabbling in ways that I can kind of bridge that a little bit.
1: Well, and that's, and that's what makes, you know, that's what separates your company probably from a lot of others too, is, is the personal touch. It's the, the accessibility to the person who's going to be taking the photos to the person who's going to be, you know, uh, you know, touching the photos up and doing all, you know, like,
2: Yeah, exactly. And Mm -hmm. I I like recommend that to people all the time that like, I totally, I, I mean, I have not had a wedding, so, but I've probably been to a rather obscene amount probably in the 300 to 500 realm,
1: which is
2: ridiculous. Yeah. at 25. But I, so I've gotten to watch a lot of those and see that. And so I totally get why people do want to distribute out the contact and all of that. But I, without fail. Like when I get contacts from planners who want to book me, I won't book that way because like, I, I totally get it. But like things that are little details are so different than me with them because I'm going to be with those people for that entire day. So there are many days where I'm with them for 14 hours straight. And like, I, that's so different than me dropping off chairs or me dropping off yeah. someone saying, hi, I'll let's have a great wedding. See you later. Yeah. You know? And so to me, it's just super important that like, while I totally support, like having help with contacts for other things, I think like your photographer is someone you really want to have a relationship with because it will allow your investment to like be way better fulfilled. Yeah, um, And that
1: was one of the things that was told to my wife and I, when we got married was like, there's. Like you're gonna put all this pressure on yourself to to plan like the perfect wedding and this and that. They're like people are gonna like people are gonna remember two things and you're gonna remember three things. People are gonna remember the music and the food and you're gonna remember those two things and your photographer because you know, you're gonna have all these lasting images of, of yep. pictures and whatnot. Like that's that's it. That's where you spend your money, that's where you focus on, everything else will fall into place.
2: Yes, exactly. Yep. That yeah, definitely what I try to encourage from people.
1: So, you touched on it just a few minutes ago, too, um, about becoming 2% certified. So, obviously, Aaron Wheat Company is 2% certified, but you also sit on the board of directors uh, for 2% for conservation as well, which you are the first, yeah, you are the first board member that I've had on the podcast. So, congratulations wow. on that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's um it's a great honor, and I have been loving it so far. I, I joined on a, I've been a part of Two Percent for a little longer, but I joined on the board this year, and it, yeah, it's been awesome. And I'm really am, loving being a part of thinking about how we can engage a greater audience um, in what we're doing. So, but I can dive into the the how I got started first.
1: Yeah. Um, yes, please. So,
2: I've started my company in. Uh, six years ago. So I started when I was 19. And I think that year, or, or when I was 20, I, I just like, I'm not exactly sure if I fully remember the the root of it. But I, I just knew that, like, I wanted to do something that also paid tribute to what the way I grew up and the values that my parents instilled in me. And you know, I got to watch both of them. And particularly my dad, who is a Midwesterner as well. And so he is a like cannot say no to anyone. and so endlessly cares about everything. And I admire him so much for that. And so I got to see him work these just equally as absurd as mine hours for something he believes so deeply in. And, yeah, I think it's hard, yeah, every night when your dad comes home in the summers at at eight o'clock, eats dinner, hangs out for half an hour and then goes out to trap bats for another four hours. Like you notice that as a kid yeah. Um, and you get to see that dedication. And so it just felt like I had to be involved in that somehow. And obviously like as much as I would absolutely love to be shooting way more conservation projects, it is a lot harder to find funding for that kind of stuff um, which is something that I would like to work on during my career in, in that like, we can gather so much more support when we have visuals for people to relate to. And so if we can find more avenues to have there be more funding for that kind of work, I think that would only benefit a lot of nonprofits in conservation so much. Um, But I knew that at least at that point, that was not gonna be a sustainable income source while also being something I cared so much about. So I I knew I needed to keep on with where I was kind of already headed um but i wanted to start giving back and so i started donating back to conservation nonprofits at the end of the year and what i would do is i would kind of set an amount that i felt was like a a fair representation of a good chunk of what i had earned that year and then i would put it up on social media and let my clients vote for places that they really wanted to support um because i felt like that's like such an awesome way to be like yes, like we invest in this person who does this for our wedding, but how rad is it that this much of our investment for our wedding is also going back to the places we care about? Like, that's awesome. And um, I think it allows two things that are often not united at all, which is the wedding world and like love and that stuff and the outdoor world and conservation and that to be a little bit more united. Yeah. Um, So I kind of started on that. And then when I moved to Jackson, or like that area, uh, full time, I came across 2% and I was like, wow, I'm already doing some of this stuff. And how much would it be awesome for me to just push myself to do even more Mm -hmm. and to be associated with this amazing group of people who also care about the same types of things and who are from all walks of life. Um, and you know, that can only encourage me to grow and encourage, yeah, my repertoire to become broader so I reached out to Jared and pretty quickly I was part of the two percent coalition and then I also joined one percent a year ago um and have been working with them a little bit but I'm a lot more involved with two percent and then this year yeah Jared reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in joining the board and I obviously was thrilled and um so I went through that process and and the board voted and all that and then joined them and I think um, one of the real things that my I feel is sort of my responsibility, and I think what 2% is looking for as well for me, is to be sort of part of the board that is looking at businesses that are not necessarily often associated with the outdoors. So um, we were obviously founded with hunting and angling as sort of the root, um, right. but as we've grown, we've really started to see that, you know, we need to make this coalition a lot broader. and. So I kind of serve in that position as being someone who I can reach out. Like right now, I'm actually working on a lot of outreach for different new membership. Um, And I am speaking to the fact that like, yeah, I'm not, I don't own a company that is certainly regularly associated with conservation or caring about these kinds of things and helping show other businesses that you can love to hunt, you can love to angle, you can love to recreate in the outdoors, however. And just because you may own like, you might own a piano store or you may be a nanny or you might be, yeah, you could be something. And that does not mean that you need to have a wall around you that says, well, then I'm not part of the outdoor community. Right. Um, And instead being like, wow, maybe my selling point too, as a, as a business is to say, Hey, I'm reaching the people who are into the same things I am. And, how awesome is it that now they know that by supporting this small business, they're also supporting what they care about and what they value. Uh, Um, and yeah, major marketing, awesome marketing opportunity there too.
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's one of the things Like, I mean, I was familiar before my company became certified. I was familiar or I maybe just kind of heard about 2% in passing. And then obviously, um, some of the the companies who I buy from regularly are two percent companies um, mm-hmm. as well. So then, once I started my company and, and I started to look into it more, it's like you said, it was kind of a no brainer. Right now, obviously, what the the items that I'm selling are more towards the hunting and the angling side of things, and that's and that's fine. But those are the things that that I really enjoy doing and that I'm passionate about. But the the amount of companies that are out there, and I mean, I can't even probably come up with a number off the top of my head, the number of companies that I've bought from now since becoming 2% certified, because yeah. I know that they're 2% certified, right? Or I have someone on the podcast and, you know, the more I get to talk to them and learn about, you know, their story and then the company that they own or they're, that they're associated with, it's like, well, I, I got to buy something from them. Like, even if I don't necessarily need it, it's like, how can I support these guys? Because they're, it's just such an amazing story. They're amazing people and, and their message and what they're doing is is the right thing, and it's something that it's it for me is has become so easy to support all these other businesses out there.
2: And I think too, like especially those of us who are small business owners and are involved in these things, regardless of whether you're just familiar with the concept of it or you actually are a member or whatever, um, I think we have kind of a unique opportunity to realize how much that ded- what that dedication is, because when you are a small business, it can feel like a really it, like money is not there's not just like money falling left yeah and we're right. not
1: making it rain out here that's no, for sure no, <laughs>
2: um, and so i think like to me when i see that i also know especially like if these little people can step up to the plate and say this is my home this is what i love these are the places i recreate and i want to support them too because that's how i become a part of a bigger ecosystem with humans involved as well on a you know business standpoint yeah, that's like exactly the most amazing thing that they're doing. That and it just makes me feel even more like passionate. That even bigger companies, why aren't you doing that? Like, hundred yeah. percent. Like, if if you're se- especially selling to an outdoor community, yeah, then let's see you stand behind what that is. You know, not just for yourself but for the whole system of it. Um,
1: yeah, and and I understand the fact that. You know, maybe not every company is kind of privately owned or maybe like a, a private equity owns it. So someone else, yep. you know, someone else is kind of controlling the funding. Um, yep. But for if, if if you own a company that is producing a, a good or a service that is being used specifically for hunting or angling or outdoor recreating of some sort, and you're not giving something back, like come on. Like the people that, that are, (laughs) yeah. The people that are supporting you are, you know, supporting you for a reason. And they're using your stuff to, to essentially take from the land into, you know, to some degree. So why can't you help give back to it? And exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. To a T. And I, I think, as much as I don't, like for me, I the marketing concept of it was not my initial thought process mm-hmm. or like that was not what I was looking for when I started doing it. And I don't think like a lot of people, I think a lot of people genuinely are there because they care so much as their first point. But it, it's hard not to argue with the marketing part of that as well. In that like, yeah, a lot of us do have clientele, regardless of what the company is, that are interested in similar things. And that's what drew them to even coming to our sites or taking the time to read about us a little bit in the first place. And so if you're already there, you're doing it, you care about it. Yeah, It's such an awesome way to be like, hey, so if you're weighing these two pairs of pants from these two different companies, and then you find out, well, these people also give back to the places I care about. And I know that when I'm buying this pair of pants, for this one company, this percentage of it is going to go back to the places that I'm hunting or angling, then it's a no brainer for me, at least as a consumer, like, of course, that's where I'm going to put my money. Yeah.
1: Um, and, and that's what I love about it, too, is a lot of the, you know, the, the really big name companies that are 2% certified are companies that are, are making like some of the best gear in their field yeah. or their kind of market that yeah, that's out have- there
2: really just talk. we were looking at the holiday gift guide uh, yeah. Jason and I were recently and we were talking about exactly that like he wasn't as familiar with who else was involved um, mm-hmm. and then he was actually shopping on someone's site and was like oh hey look yeah you right you you do and I was like exactly and then we started talking about that and he he was blown away by who was involved and and really really it was yeah exciting to see him so excited
1: um so yeah out so what are some of the organizations, so from from your company standpoint, what are some of the organizations that you're giving your time back to?
2: Yeah, so obviously 2020 has been a little odd in the volunteer yeah. category. Right. Um, so that one, I have done a lot more. This year, I have done a lot more time just myself um, doing cleanups and stuff that allowed um, us to be, obviously, I think I'd mentioned uh, health stuff in the past. So I have to be a little more careful. Um but in the past, I one of my favorite places, which is under a little bit of a transition of leadership this year, so things have shifted a tad, but um, we have a local re- wildlife rehabilitation group that was founded by a friend of mine. And so I've been involved with them the last few years, um, helping document a lot of their releases once okay. – So like last spring we did uh, six yellow-bellied marmot babies um, that were released, um, which was really fun and hilarious. Like they, we had PVC piping for them to kind of pretend was home while they were growing, and they did not want out. And (laughs) there was a photo published in the newspaper, and it's the end of the pipe is being held up, and the guy is in there with his hands and just completely spread all four on each side. not coming out (laughs) like when we started we were a hundred percent like okay quiet careful super careful like and then about three hours later we were like okay we're like shaking (laughs) time to get out yeah (laughs) okay guys we don't have all day here like (laughs) make yourself at home in this new new spot um but yeah so that has been that's so much fun to me because not only does that is it's a familiar setting for me. Um, it's a lot like what I grew up in, but it allows me to also be involved in a way that I feel like I can do something, um, with my own, uh, talents and skills. Um, so that, that's been one of my very favorite places. And then some of the local film festivals I've helped out with, or donated stuff for auctions, which is a great way for people who are considering membership but are a little nervous. Like there are so many ways that you can qualify your time and money yeah. with discounts, with products, with auctions, with all kind that stuff all counts. Which is one of the things I love the most about Two Percent is it's so it's accessible for people, um, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's not as daunting as I think sometimes it might might seem to people to in any form to be giving back. Um, So yeah, stuff like that a lot of the time and just being in the field or working with uh, wildlife rehab centers. um, In the past, I did a little work with a park that I grew up in. Um, My dad was um, leading a project to bring peregrine falcons back to nest in Acadia for the first um, and get them out of Just City. Landscapes and back into a natural landscape, and it's been successful. We just had this year that we just had the first successful nesting pair, um, this year nest in another natural setting in Maine for the first time, so that was super exciting. And that was like a 27 year project or longer, I believe, maybe even. Um, so it was really exciting for my dad to get, yeah, that's
1: that's crazy to see, yeah, like a, a project that you start yeah at one then yeah 27 years later kind of see everything come to fruition that's yeah Yeah. i can imagine that being a very proud moment for him
2: yeah and it's and we had years that were really successful and we had years that obviously were not and were hard and concerning um but yeah so i did some photo work for them where i documented our banding process each year so um, basically we hired in a climbing team who drops down the cliffs in Acadia and actually bring the, the chicks out of the nest oh, wow. in blinds wow. and we bring them up on ropes. And then there's a team of biologists and technicians at the top who then take measurement size feathers. We band them and then we put them back in the nest and then we get to track them when they return, um, in future years. So I photographed that so that we would have that to share wow. um, with papers and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, that that's one of my favorites too. And it obviously super cool to be out there with my pops. Um, yeah,
1: no, for sure. It's yeah. That's kind of things coming full circle, right. As you know, yeah. as, as, a kid being, you know, tagging along to a, be- a beaver pond to now, you know, hiking up cliffs and, and, you know, working with reintroduction of falcons. Yeah. That's, that's pretty wild.
2: Yeah. yeah. Really, really cool. So yeah, a lot of stuff like that. And then, yeah, from the, for the money part of things, obviously um, I spend a lot of the time, like, when people reach out to me for film festivals or things like that where they are going to do auctions, I always participate in those um, and then at, just keep tabs on what we're looking at in that department and then at the end of the year, even if I was close with just that kind of stuff I still open it up for the rest of donations to go from just a financial perspective and I think it's just super fun part of that is letting the people that who have actually funded that vote on where yeah. they want to go, yeah. um so usually I just take a bunch of random ones from everyone, and just and then I put together and have people like I put them in sets of three or something and have people vote on, and then we finalize like a group of three final nice. donations that go in. Um, which yeah is super fun and it's cool to see what people bring up as being the pl- like the things and the groups and the places that they want to support. Um, yeah, I've gotten introduced to a bunch of groups that I had no familiarity with through that, which has been really cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I really like your your approach especially with keeping things local. And that's one thing that I've kind of learned over time or you know over the past year with with my company is like, you know, having dollars stay like in the state of Michigan to these local chapters or these local organizations like you know, they don't get the the funding that a lot of these, you know, really big orgs do and they're still doing very 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 meaningful work it's just not um you know it's just not
2: recognition yeah you know i i actually had a meeting with jared Um yeah, so for anyone who isn't familiar, he's our director at two percent. And we were talking last week about just, you know, some different ideas and and thoughts. And that was one of the things I mentioned to him about, which is one of my favorite things about two percent, is that some of the other organizations that do a similar kind of concept have really, really strict requirements on where you can put your money. Yeah. And and those donations. And I totally get it. I get the thought process behind it, but at the same time a lot of those already have a ton of publicity and are already getting a lot of funding. And some of the most, I think, substantial changes that happen are within the places and are fun- and funded and fueled by the people who actually visit those places regularly and care the most about them. And that little grassroots change is so important. And so I think that's so awesome that I can donate to these these groups around me that I can like Couple days later, in the grocery store, I run into their yeah. You can
1: kind of like touch and feel and like
2: yeah. Donation like this means the world to us, and that means the world to me to know you know that that's actual people that I know spend time with, and get to watch put their life and soul into these efforts, and know that that's where it's going, and that that's really important to me.
1: Yeah, and that's that kind of just the whole like the means or the way in which you can donate your your time or money for um, qualification for 2% is, it's almost like two, like it kind of just speaks to the, the, what 2% is as a whole, right? Where it's very inclusive, right? Like yes. it's, it's trying to get any and everybody who wants to help make a difference. Hey, come on, we got room for you. You don't have to be a hunter yeah. or an angler or whatever the case may be. If you love wild places, you love, you know, conservation, come, come. come. We will take yeah.
2: you. And I... I think too, like, I I don't know if this was a hundred percent part of Jared's thought process with the board and having me join, but I do think like being younger is, is a really cool opportunity at least for me to pursue that in a way that, yeah, I know so many talented people, my, in my age group, um, or just slightly older than me who are also photographers, artists, other things. Um, and I don't think there's really any, like, I don't want to say pressure, but, like there isn't really any introduction to them on like hey you don't have to be 50 and have had a 25 year career in this to care and give back and i think that that is something that is kind of like an unspoken idea that people have is like oh well i have so many things you know going on and like i have so many things to accomplish in my life i'm not ready to be involved or have a say or be donating or anything and it's like absolutely that is so not true like Start now, like do it now from the get go and make it a part of your life and a part of your family and where you go in the future. And um, there's great ideas that come from every age group. And I think... Yeah, there, there's a, that plays right into the smaller group thing too. Like, there are so many brilliant, motivated, incredibly talented people who have more than the heart to make change happen, yeah. and that funding locally is where they don't have what they need in order to actually see it through. And so, yeah, well, it's uniting-
1: like yeah, and it's like you just said with, you know, you're not exactly sure on Jared's thought process, but you know, being you know only twenty five or twenty six, being on the you know definitely on the younger side of just you know just people in general right just you know you're very early on in your life but i yeah i almost i feel like a broken record saying this because i've talked about it with numerous people but like there's like this changing of the guard in terms of like the outdoors and conservation right now where people like you people like me like in our you know age demographic is is starting to be kind of ushered in to you know leading the charge on conservation and I think obviously social media plays a very large role in that sometimes for better sometimes for worse yeah, but agree it's more there. yeah and it's uh it's interesting to see how things and platforms have changed to to get messages out and y- y- you hit the nail on the head when you said there's so many young talented people that can you know speak up and that can make a change and you know yeah you don't have to have all this experience to to have this great idea or to give your time back, right? You just have to be willing to do it.
2: And I I do even like, like I go to a lot of presentations and stuff. um, Well, at least prior to 2020. Um, And I do notice that a lot of times aside from the random one or two here who are, you know, insane athletes or have made a really big name for themselves really young. You do generally see a lot of people that do have a longer career or more history there or older which makes perfect sense because there's a wealth of knowledge there to pass on. But I do think at the same time, it does sometimes create that divide a little bit between the younger group of people who are showing up to those. But they just like even because I played into that for without a doubt at times where I was more just like, well, I'm an observer here. Yeah. Like this is all interesting and stuff. But, you know, he's he's actively speaking to this 50, 60s crowd here about what he's doing. I'm just observing the process so I can be a part later. And I don't like I wanna help change that idea that yeah, I think every age group, all everyone can be involved. Like and I and I've seen that too in social media, just like you mentioned. Like I've seen some younger faces pop up who have really connected with a huge group of people that yeah. are younger. And I think purely because people do relate to that, like those those that younger age group is relating to them a little bit better and being like, Whoa, if they're doing this, well shoot, maybe I should do this too. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um which, yeah, it's awesome. And yeah, I hope that continues a lot. And yeah, they, like you were mentioning with like voting and stuff, that that is a huge thing. And that younger class of voters is a huge part of what's happening. And and that affects like a lot of conservation it does. decisions and stuff are a part of our votes and stuff. And so, yeah, having that group be involved on more fronts, I think only improves the future of the whole concept.
1: Yeah. And it's funny if, well, it's not funny. If you look at businesses that are 2% certified and you look at some of the, the names and faces that are either, um, you know, in charge of that business or they're um, kind of a an outward speaking voice for that business, um, it, it really ranges. I mean, you have, you know, people from, you know, Randy Newberg, who is, you know, so passionate yeah. about public lands. And then you take Sam Soholt and his brother that have started public land tees that have just raised thousands of dollars through the duck stamp program. Uh, And it's just, it's, you have different generations and they're all, you know, just with this great, you know, platform and message and raise so much money and are such, you know, amazing advocates for, for the outdoors. It's, it's really great to see.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, the whole origination of 2% was rooted in kind of helping people realize that hunters and anglers are such a fundamental part of conservationists. Yeah. And maybe that message has been lost a little in last year's. Um, and it, it's ironic that it, at the same time frame, we ended up in a political situation that so desperately needs bridging of, of you know, division. And yeah, yes. it's kind of exactly what is going on here, though, is, you know, a lot of times, yeah, I am I, not a hunter myself and I'm I'm not as familiar with that world but I'm all for sustainable hunting and yep. you know that that concept and it's really cool that this allows me to sit down with someone who might have made a judgment about what I think of them right off the bat or vice versa you know and and sit down and And be like, wow, guess what? We actually are fighting for the exact same thing, even though maybe we recreate a little differently. Yeah. And it's like, wow, yeah, we can sit down, have a cup of coffee and have a great conversation about why we care about these places. And I I think too, like, you know, I'm trying to dive into the East Coast realm a little bit more, but there's a lot to go in there because obviously the public land relationship is pretty different back East than it is out West. Um, And that has been really unique for me because yeah, like Jason grew up um, sorry. I say Jay a lot too. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, he grew up like spending a lot of time in all of these public lands, which was like a totally foreign concept to me. And like, I remember when we were driving to Maine that year, I had to explain to him that you can't just camp randomly. Like <laughs> you have to find a place back East that you can actually legally camp because there aren't just like open places that you can just pull in and set up your camper wherever you want.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, and so I've been doing a lot of or like recently I've been doing some reading and listening about sort of the, the it's kind of similar to Montana's version of like that there's a reward for for private landowners who work with the public in mm-hmm. hunting and, and concert and angling and, and use of recreation on their lands. And that's a lot about like how Maine is, too. Okay. There's a lot of a lot of private land and they have a similar system where there are different properties that allow people to come and hunt and fish and um that's a huge source of where people go especially in northern maine for that um so yeah working to figure out how we can kind of help those people realize that that is the same type of public land relationship that they're having um yeah, because like I, I know so many kids from back, at, if you said the BLM, they would be like, the what? <laughs> you yeah, know? they wouldn't
1: be thinking They'd of, yeah,
2: that is. land yeah. management. And yeah. so when someone says like, like, public lands, blah, 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 they're like, what? You yeah. know, like, okay, Acadia, there's one place in Maine. What are you talking about? You know, right, and it's like, right. no, no, like, it may not be BLM. It may not be forest service. But the way you're working with these private landowners to publicly recreate and use their land is the same exact type of concept. Right. And so you are as much supporting that as anybody who is public lands of the west yeah. you know
1: yeah so you mentioned um angling and it sounds like from uh, again reading your bio there on the 2% page like that's something that is it have you always done it or are you just like getting back into it or like
2: i'm new to it actually so okay. yeah that's i so i i did grow up skiing a little um and my dad is a pretty good skier, um, and obviously, in Alaska and here, um, but he always was, was grumpy about skiing back east because we had to drive and he was just grumpy that you had to pay that money to ski a hill, in his opinion. Yeah, um, yeah. So we didn't ski a ton as I got older and then swimming took over, um, but I picked both of those things back up um, coming out here and fly fishing for the first time. So obviously, I grew up like lobstering and doing other things like my parents are not um, born and raised Mainers. So I didn't grow up in that type of a dynamic, but obviously I grew up on an Island with a lot of kids who fished. And so those, it was just a totally different thing. So I've like, yeah, halibut fished in Alaska with friends or, you know, lobstered or that kind of stuff. But fly fishing was a totally new concept to me. Um, and Jason used to run the trout unlimited for, um, out of Laramie for, for university of Wyoming. So he, um, he probably will kill me for saying this, but he, uh, made a pact with one of his best friends freshman year to fish 365 days of the year and did and failed out of school in the process, but um, it's
1: gotta be sacrifices. <laughs> he
2: accomplished His goal, which was not school and was fishing. Um, so he, I'm really lucky. He's a, a professional snowboard guide as well. And so he's an excellent teacher and I've I've gotten to get out with him a lot, and I'm I'm learning and loving it, like absolutely loving it. Yeah,
1: Jason so. sounds like my kind of guy.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. He,
1: he fishes 365 days a year, and he's a snowboard guy. I can get on yep. board with that.
2: <laughs> yep. He, yeah, my own bike guide. He used to do that, but we are to kind of have t- taken a break from that. And he works as a carpenter in the summers now. But yeah, all of those things, I'm really lucky to have his support. And yeah, never-ending battle in our household over skiing and snowboarding because yeah, I. So- I'm a ski-
1: yeah. I'm a skier. My wife's a snowboarder, and, and like I, I I mentioned early on, like I I grew up skiing here in the Midwest. I mean, it's yeah, it's skiing hills, right? Yeah. And I was fortunate enough that I think in my uh, like early teens, uh, we made our first trip uh, to Steamboat in Colorado. Uh, like that was our spring break. We went we went skiing for spring break, right? And yeah, just since then, um, and then once my wife and I got married, we've been going out to Colorado at least once a year for the last. I don't know 7 to 10 years I would say um and get a chance to spend time out there and yeah it's I can't get enough of it
2: yeah i i and I like without diving too in and going on too far of a tangent, I, I was pretty sick when I did move out to Jackson at that point in my life. And I ended up kind of figure finding out how severe it was at, like a couple months into us being together, which obviously was like a huge undertaking for him, um, having not had faced anything like that and knowing that what we were about to go into was gonna be a lot worse because the treatment was pretty aggressive and we were, yeah, just aware of what it might look like. And so I am just so grateful to him too, that like a lot of people would not have had the patience to sit through the fact that, yeah, I, there were times when I just couldn't do what other people could do or my body just wasn't able to show up because it was already fighting a whole nother battle. And so I'm I'm so grateful to him that I've learned to be so much better skier even during the whole treatment and everything like that. Um, yeah, I, I can't thank him enough for that. And I, I feel so grateful to that community of people that I've found through him who, yeah, are are not your Jackson type of just like, you know, like, yeah, Jackson. Yeah.
1: Jackson,
2: <laughs> but are just like if you're out there, you're doing it. Like yeah. that's what I want you to I don't care how good you are. I don't care how many pow turns you rip every day. I don't care what you've skied. I don't care how many miles you did last weekend. If you were out there and you were having fun, that's that's what matters. Yeah. And I feel really yeah, lucky to have someone that has that mentality but also is a ripping snowboarder yeah. and has yeah, a lot of it – it's just around the resort all winter. So even though he snowboards, he knows enough about skiing to be able to keep an eye and just point out some things for me yeah. here and there. Yeah, and um, if, he's,
1: if he's guiding or he's teaching anyone, you know, whether it's snowboarding or mountain biking, like you said before, like, yeah, he's he's got to have patience because yeah. people are there to learn from you. So they're relying on you. So, yeah, patience is, is a virtue <laughs> in that realm, definitely.
2: Yeah, so I, I think – the fly, we started fly fishing um, more together in the last probably year to two years. Um, I actually, yeah, caught, caught my first trout this year, which was uh, not a great trout, but I was still stoked about
1: it. Anything um, on a, anything on the fly is is impressive. That,
2: exactly how i felt i was like just thrilled that i had even done it so um and then and like got out on on some big lake trout this year which was cool because i had only ever fished rivers and streams with him before so that was a totally different experience and and super fun just out in jenny lake um which obviously has nice views too so really can't go wrong there um but yeah the skiing thing like that has been his job in the winter for the last years consecutively and so Um, from the time we were together, like it was pretty clear we were going to be out there. And so in just like the last three years, I've, yeah, learned so much. And now at like much more avid backcountry skier and just generally at the resort and just like, I've started taking other people out, which is super cool that a few years ago, I was like shaking in my boots at the top of the middle of the mountain, (laughs) like (laughs) absolutely terrified. It was like, what is this? This is not skiing.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) And now like, yeah, it's super cool to be able to bring people I know out and be like, okay, I don't want you to look down. I just want one turn at a time. That's what we're focusing on. It's yeah. not the end goal. It's just, you know, these, these two ways down and it's cool to be on the other side of that. Even though I'm not by any means like an incredible skier or anything like that, yeah. but it's, it's yeah, fun. The,
1: the same principles apply like for for skiing and for, you know, hunting or fishing. It's just like just being out there right? Like that's, yeah. you're doing sharing it. That. You're doing yeah. it.
2: And yeah, sharing that with people is so awesome. And obviously Jackson is an incredible playground for Yeah.
1: Yeah. For it's sports. not a bad place so. to learn or to, to recreate for that yeah, matter.
2: All the time is like, if you can ski Jackson, you can pretty much ski, ski any other resort. Yeah. I, I won't say anywhere, but any other resort for sure. Like, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a challenge to learn on, but once you've learned there, you're so well set yeah. for anywhere else yeah Yeah.
1: agreed so one last question for you Aaron as a professional photographer and owning your own photography company what is your best piece of advice for someone who's just who wants to learn about photography who maybe wants to you know take a more active role or, or even pursue it professionally what's your one piece of advice for that person listening
2: Let's see, I have to think about this one a little bit. There are so many things, but I think, so I, I do teach actually on the side. Um, I do, me- I mentor with other people, like all spectrums. I've had, you know, people who are well into what they're doing and I've had other people who are literally exactly at that point. Like, I think I like this, what should I do to figure out if I do? Um, and a lot of the time what I talk about with them is, you know, A, using the community around you. Like there are so many things that I did and like some of them, I'm like, oh, this was awesome. On the other ones, I'm like, I wouldn't probably do that again. But a huge part of like finding enough to know whether I really liked what I was doing and it brought me the type of joy I wanted was working with people in my own community, like, you know, finding ways to either do discounted sessions or, you know, with at first just with friends, like just shooting and just finding out if that really brought me a lot of joy cons- consistently. Um and then I think that the number two thing I would say, once you're like pretty sure you're, you're, this is where you want to go and and you're not sure where yet, but that's where you're headed is identifying the things that you care about. And that's why I talk with people about that all the time, because like for me, that is such a huge fundamental part of my company and like what I do. And regardless of whether some of the people even realize it's happening and others maybe don't or some don't and some do, it, it just makes me feel so good to know that what I care about, I'm supporting. And so I actually just had a mentee a couple months ago and we were talking about this like totally different interests. She has a totally different background, like all of these things. And like one of the things she was, was ranching. She's from the Midwest. She grew up on a ranch. She lives on a ranch now. That's what she's familiar with. And I was like, we talked about that. Like, that's your, that's your thing. Like yeah, hundred percent, like connect with other people who live that lifestyle. And like, when you have guys that are like, I do not want to do this, which tends to be (laughs) more often (laughs) the guys that are not as thrilled about it. It's like. You can sit down with them and start talking about the season in agriculture, or you can sit down with them and talk about like breaking horses or whatever it may be that you guys do. And immediately you've made a connection with your client. Like immediately they're so much more calm and relaxed because they're like, oh, regardless of whether you're female, male, whatever, they're like, oh, I can really, I can have a conversation with this person. Right. They get it. Exactly. And then if like they find out that you're part of like, yeah, what is FFA, I think. Uh, future, future for, yeah yep. yep yep um or you're a part of like something else or there's you know obviously I'm not as familiar with this world but groups that are working to help create keep that lifestyle alive mm-hmm. and find, you know like I, I'm a huge fan of ranch lands myself i follow like a lot of what they do and their business model and i just i think it's like really amazing and it's like work with groups like that like learn about sustainable ranching or like support people that are pushing that. And like right there, now you have this whole niche of things you're doing with your company that the people you're working with relate to. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that is like, regardless of what it is, there's always an avenue that you can be giving back in some way to like what you care about and stuff. And I, I think that's such an, an awesome way to, to make your work matter to you more and to the people that you work with.
1: Yeah, and I would imagine too, your quality of work is going to be a lot better when you're when you're shooting something that you truly understand, right? Like you yeah. you just you you get how, you know, the, the dynamics of that's you know, let's say like a farmer or something like, you know, ranging, you know, herding cattle or milking yeah, cattle you know, or, or whatever I, the ca- breaking a horse, like you understand how that works, so it's just going to come out in 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 the way you're exactly able to capture right.
2: it. I grew, maybe spent a little time around horses growing up, but not enough to be super comfortable. And so like, for me, that's something I have to overcome when mm-hmm. I'm in a shoot like that is that I'm not as familiar with horse behavior or what I can put a couple in and around to, and have it still be natural or have the, the, the people and the horse comfortable, right. all of that. Whereas someone that has grown up in that world is going to know exactly what is yeah. doable and, and that sort of thing. And yeah, I, I think that is just such an awesome way to unite what you love with what you're doing. And regardless of whether it's photo or any other type of yeah work in any other realm. Yeah.
1: Well, Aaron, I really appreciate you taking some time to hop on the podcast today. I really enjoyed speaking with you. And um, if I get out to Jackson Hole, I'll definitely be sure to look you and Jason up so we can hit the, hit the mountain together
2: absolutely i it's i'm such an honor to talk with you marcus and I, I hope that it helps inspire other people uh to get involved in and support conservation as well um and definitely give us a ring if you're ever in the area
1: yeah absolutely we'll do thank you again aaron
2: cool talk all to right. you later all right bye-bye. bye
1: all right well a huge thank you to aaron for hopping on the podcast today i would also like to thank our partners over at stone glacier be sure and check them out at stoneglacier.com also like to thank the partners over at 2%. Uh, If you're interested in learning more about 2% for conservation, you can visit their website fishandwildlife.org and there you can see all the certified brands including Aaron Wheat Company and Stone Glacier that have committed to conservation that you should support when you're shopping for uh, your gear uh, or your um, photographer or books or beer or wine or guide service. Uh, You name it, there's a 2% brand out there uh, that's selling what you're looking for Uh, i also encourage you guys to give two percent a follow on social media where it's going to be nothing but positive content coming out of their uh, various pages and feeds so again if you'd like to learn more about two percent for conservation you could look for them online on their social media or at fishandwildlife.org thanks for joining me this week guys hope you enjoyed the episode remember stay safe out there and conservation starts with you